Hello, and welcome to The Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Canadian Story. Today, we are joined by one of my old bandmates and uh, failed fantasy hockey league extraordinaire, <laughs> Robbie J. Lane. Robbie, welcome, welcome to the show. Welcome, Robbie, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. How you doing today, buddy? It's been a long time. Uh, you had to throw in the uh, failed fantasy hockey. <laughs> well, you know, it's in my nature. <laughs> uh, Robbie, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to join us. Why don't you um, just uh, bust out, you know, like your 30 to 60 second bio for the listeners so that they can know who you are and what you're about. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so as uh, Zach mentioned, uh, we were uh, once bandmates. Uh, I was once a... Uh, Twice bandmates. Yeah. What's that? Twice bandmates. Yes, twice bandmates. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, once a a very active uh, touring musician and uh, very active in the Kitchener Waterloo Cambridge music scene, uh, trying to dip my toes in wherever I could, um, while also working uh, mainly in the hospitality industry. Uh, from there, I finally got my first real job in the music industry, which was unfortunately right before the. Uh, the pandemic hit. Uh, so that saw me uh, kind of forced out of a professional career uh, that I was in in the music industry and saw me kind of shift gears back into uh, the hospitality industry. Uh, that pretty much actually worked out in my favor, though, because I found myself in one of the most beautiful places in the province and uh, I couldn't be happier at this point. So that's a great segue. You say, you know, you're in one of the most beautiful places in the province. Um, why don't you tell us something that you love about Canada? And maybe is it, is that it maybe could even where be you Prince, live? Prince Edward County. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure that you guys have had uh, someone say this already, but kind of the, just the diversity of of the nature and, and everything that the country has to offer. And, uh, you know, specifically Ontario itself, I never really, even with touring Ontario so many countless times, I never really got to see the the actual beauty of like Lake Ontario, like shorelines uh, east of Toronto, you know, it, it, especially growing up in that Kitchener-Waterloo region. Um, most of your exposure to Lake Ontario is Hamilton and Toronto and it's don't go in the water. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, as soon as you go east and, and the further east you go, it, it's just, it's absolutely beautiful. You get these like turquoise waters and white sand beaches. And, uh, and then for four to six months out of the year, it's, uh, the hockey playing capital. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. You know, it, it's great. It's just the fact that we have so much diversity in, in, things that we can see and experience in this province and this country. You know, I've lived in Vancouver for a couple of years as well. And uh, being able to kind of travel across the country, whether that was touring or just moving to a different place, it's, it's always just, you know, the next breathtaking moment is just like around the corner. That's, I think that's, that's what I love the most about this country is you can see so much and experience so much without even having to cross the border. So, so share a little bit with us about this place that you've just recently fallen in love with in Canada, Prince Edward County. And like, what is it about this place that's just taken a hold of your heart? Man, Prince Edward County is so 
from as far as I know, it's still very new and up and coming in, in terms of being a, a massive tourist destination. Uh, it's essentially an island that's just uh, south of Belleville. And uh, it was founded in like the late 1700s uh, by loyalists who were forced out of America during the Revolutionary War. Uh, it turned into this massive agricultural area that's still super rich with agriculture at this time. Uh, they started um, really growing the vineyards out here in the early 2000s. And that has, that has now exploded into wineries, cideries, breweries, an amazing, amazing culinary background. It, like it's the, the restaurants, the, the breweries, the attractions, everything out here uh, is just absolutely phenomenal. Um, not to mention the fact that we have tons of provincial parks uh, that also includes Sandbanks Provincial Park. Uh, so we have, I, I've got white sand beaches 10 minutes down the road from me and I live in a city of 5,000 people. It's, uh, it doesn't really seem real. It doesn't really, it, I never thought that I could live in Ontario and live in a place like this. That's what I was going to say that like white sand beaches in a town of 5,000 people doesn't sound like Ontario to my concept of Ontario. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, actually Grand, Grand Bend is a, is a kind of like that too, I find. Have yeah, you, Grand, yeah. Grand Bend is, is, is definitely like that as well. The nice thing with Prince Edward County is we have, because we're, instead of just being a shoreline, we're an actual island. Yes, you're surrounded. We're surrounded by it. And, uh, you know, everyone, this community is just so fantastic that I've made so many great friends already. And I've really been able to um, implement myself in the community in a, in a positive way where I've been shown all of the little private beaches that the tourists don't know about. <laughs> nice, <laughs> so, nice. You know, and any, any given day we can take off and go hit the beach and we'll, we'll be the only people there all day. It's, it's, oh, it's, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah, it's really special. So for a county that, um, according to kind of the, the concept you've given me of it, is so hospitality driven, how do you feel um, they've done throughout the pandemic? And, and have, they, have you guys been ability or had the ability to, to kind of weather the storm? And like, how's that going? Yeah, we have been, you know, everyone in this community is super supportive. Um, I mean, the breweries themselves, uh, I can speak from working in, in the brewery community. Uh, the breweries are all really tight knit. Uh, everyone supports each other. Uh, you know, I frequent every brewery in, in the county as much as I can, whether it's for their takeout food options or for just grabbing some cans to go. Uh, you know, we've, we've obviously seen a, a massive, massive dip in, uh, in, in tourists because you're not allowed to come out. Even, even when we went through that short period of, uh, I think we were out of lockdown for only a couple months. Uh, even during that time, we were hit with a class order from the public health unit that restricted uh, anyone from outside the Hastings Prince Edward area to come in. And oh, wow. And so we come out of this lockdown and we're expecting this influx of tourists to just get out and come see us. And then we're hit with this public health order uh, that goes above the provincial orders. Uh, so that was really tough. And, uh, but you know, we, we've been able to really pull through all the restaurants or the doors are still open. The breweries and wineries, the doors are still open. Everyone's just kind of waiting for us to be able to, uh, really welcome everybody back. Um, you know, it, it has been tough, but we're 
you know, we're, we're persisting just like everybody else's. Yeah. That's crazy that you got hit with a, a public health order above even the provincial order. It, it feels like this whole, the, the, the whole uh, shutdown has been, I would say, like the most unfair to the, the restaurant industry and I guess hospitality in general. And, you know, there can be like, I, I understand some levels of it, but to, to restrict people from outside the county from coming into the county just seems ridiculous. Yeah. You know, it, it goes, it's kind of a, it's double-edged sword because I can under, I understand what the health unit was doing. They were trying to keep, you know, at that time, uh, our case count and like our percentage was pretty low. Like we were in a green zone for most of the pandemic. So it was just trying to restrict, uh, people from red zones and gray zones from traveling into a green zone. Um, so I, I understand where they were coming from, uh, from that point of view. Now, the issue is, is from a provincial and a municipal standpoint, there's nobody who's an industry expert that's advising anybody on making these decisions. And right, that right. doesn't really make any sense is because those are the people that have the most insight and should be able to help with making these decisions that are, A, yeah, going to keep everybody safe, but also are, are going to make sure that establishments aren't closing their doors, which we've seen happen all across the province, uh, which has been super unfortunate. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we've, I, I've got enough faith in humanity and enough faith in us as a country and a province that whether you're from a gray zone or a red zone or whatever color shape zone you're in at the, at the given moment, um, if you're sick or you know you've come in contact with someone who's sick, you're not going to go travel and, and, and go visit someplace two hours away to go to a brewery or a winery. It, you're just not going to do it because you know that it's, it's, not, it's not a responsible thing to do. Um, but I guess they put these measures in order to uh, kind of put a stranglehold on. on yeah, yeah. They, they don't trust people like you do in that sense, right? They, they, yeah. It's kind of like, you know, the government's decided they're going to be our parent. Yeah, well, they even they started out. They asked us. They wanted us to card people. They wanted us to start checking licenses at the door. And it's like, <laughs> man, like the next thing you're going to do is give me a badge and a gun. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, like, so you can come. hunt down the non-believers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, come on. So you know, we did our due diligence. We we put a little screening form at the front door. That's like, this is the class twenty two health order that. Uh, this is what it's laid out. If you if you're from outside Hastings, Prince Edward County, then you're not allowed to come in. Please sign off, and that's it. It's like because now I've done my due diligence, and we've kind of put the onus on 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 the the guests coming in, and and if you feel safe to come in, then sure, I'll I'll, I'll pour you a beer. Yeah. I, I I believe in that too. I've, I I agree with you. I like to think that you know. 15 months in, we have enough common sense and decency that if you are sick, you know, maybe you just stay home, you know, maybe yeah. you just, you know, think responsibly and take care of the people around you and wait till you're not sick to go have a pint somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, it's, so yeah. I, I'm interested in this uh, relationship between the hospitality industry and the music industry. Cause uh, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of different people that I know that that that's a very tight relationship. Right. And, and there seems, it seems to be, so, so why don't you share a little bit of, from your experience, but also like, what is it like to exist in those two parallel worlds and how does your story uh, highlight that? Because we haven't really had a lot of people 
enlighten us on that particular way of living. But it's a very common, especially in the Canadian music industry, career synergy. Yeah, um, I think it really starts off with, I know for me anyways, and for a number of my peers and colleagues, um, it, it mainly has to do with like the sporadic touring schedule um, and being able to, you know, being able to leave that industry, the, the hospitality industry and kind of come back to it whenever you want to, whether you're going back to the same place you worked before. Uh, and that's an agreement that you have with the company you work for or going and finding a job somewhere else in the industry, because it's such a massive, massive industry. Um, so many restaurants, bars, you know, wherever you want to be able to try and work, there's, there's always going to be a job opportunity. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to work for pretty much the exact same restaurant within the exact same company uh, for my entire working career. Uh, and that was being able to, Hey, you know what? Like I need three or four weeks off cause we're going to go on tour. Um, and usually it's, it's pretty supportive because I, I think that those industries, they really, they're, they're connected um, in, in more than than one way. And a big part of that is, you know, it's, it's entertainment. It's uh, it is hospitality. Like it's, it's hospitality, like the same way that you have a, a venue or an event space, you have a, a restaurant or a bar um, restaurants and bars host musicians all the time. It's the, those two industries are very intertwined. So I think there's a really cool understanding and, uh, and love between those two industries. Uh, and it's just something that's really easy to fall back into. And it's something that you can easily go and, uh, work for a few months, like out here, for instance, uh, all of my servers that I have working for me, they're all seasonal employees. They come right. work for the summer because there, there's not really, there's no real tourist activity through the late fall, winter, early spring. So, uh, we, uh, yeah, we, we end up just having like that three or four months out of the year and then you got to kind of go find something else. So for me, that was, that was music and, right. and yeah, it's, it's, I, I think that's the biggest thing with it. But again, just like that, like interconnectedness of the two industries. I want to talk, um, so we've talked a little bit about the hospitality thing. I want to talk music and I want to talk specifically uh, touring because um, the kind of the like, I think that um, van and trailer touring is the unsung hero of the music industry. Like people, people like people love to go to the big arena shows and the, and the stadiums and the huge festivals. And like, that's kind of like the top of the industry, but like, in many ways, I still believe that the heart and soul of the music industry is getting in a van, packing a trailer, and going across the country with your buds. And that's something that you've done a lot of. And um, could you just paint the picture for our listeners of what that experience is like? You know, tell stories. Uh, what, yeah. what was it yeah. like? I want to hear, like, you've seen a lot of this country through music. Tell us about what that's like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, I will start off by saying that those years in a van or SUV or even, man, like a car, like a car <laughs> with like five dudes packed in it, driving for eight to 10 hours at a time. Like th those were the best years and like the most fun years of my life. And, you know, you end up having like these, you build these relationships um, with, with guys who are, you know, 
I've always considered everyone that I've been in bands with to be, to be family. Like those are your brothers because you share something with those people that you wouldn't share with anybody else. You you share that same passion. You write music together and that those, those songs and and that band, like those are, those are your babies. Those are your kids. Uh, So you have this um, extremely special relationship with everybody involved. So when you get to go and take, those songs and take that music and create this live experience all over the place, no matter where it is, no matter if it's playing in front of five people or 5,000 people. Um, it's, it's, it's really, really special to see just people pay attention and people care enough to come out and see it. Like, um, the, just some of the craziest stuff. Like I, (laughs) not so much being in a van and a trailer, but just like touring in general. I think Zach and I have one of the coolest stories, which was Quebec city. Quebec city was amazing. <laughs> All right. But I want to hear yeah, the story. You, I want to hear and, this story. And, and for whatever it's worth, Quebec city is one of my favorite cities in the country of Canada. It is oh, an incredible absolutely. city. Absolutely. Just touring Quebec in general, like especially like when you're in the punk rock and metal scenes in yeah. Quebec and especially Montreal, uh, it's just, it's on another level. I um, would even venture to say that the people in Quebec appreciate music more than maybe any other province in Canada. They just have like a deep love for live music and art that um, I think a lot of the other oh, provinces is, and, don't and I share. Think a big part of that is like Quebec culture loves art, right? Yeah. They, because they, they focus on their own art so much. Well, the, the, the punk, the punk rock scene in Quebec is the biggest in the country and still is like, it has been for a really long time. Um, it's crazy to see like, you know, you can send a punk rock band from Toronto that'll play in front of five people in front of their hometown. And then they'll go to Quebec and they'll have like a following of like 200 people show up already. It's, it's crazy. Um, but, uh, <laughs> that, that one time, and you know what, this actually ties back in once again to the hospitality. To the ho- right, oh, what a, right. what a beautiful Good. segue. Nice right? Well, we haven't yeah. got there yet. So we're ahead of the listeners right now. <laughs> yeah. So, so we were playing at, uh, a venue called Lanty Bar, which is, um, essentially like the big, like punk rock metal venue in Quebec city. And while we were sound checking, uh, a transformer blew up down the street and caused a power outage throughout the, that entire half of the block. Uh, they essentially canceled the show right away. They're like, yeah, we're not going to be able to get the power back on in time. Uh, that's it. And that was the, I, if I'm not, correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, I'm pretty sure that was like the most Eastern point of our, of our, that was like one of the last tour stops. It, it was, it was the last one. It was the last tour. So yeah. it was the last tour stop. Yeah. So that was, and, and it was a show that we were all really looking forward to. Um, not only because it's the last tour stop, but because it was such a cool venue in, as Zach said, one of his favorite city, one of my favorite cities in Canada. Um, and at that point, so we're kind of like, well, what do we do now? Uh, we ended up walking maybe half a block down the road and to where there was electricity, where there was electricity, <laughs> yeah. um, which is essentially like the main intersection of, of, of like that old Quebec city. 
And there's a Bureau de Post, which if you're familiar with uh, El Furniture Warehouse, the, the restaurant group in Toronto, that is their, that's like the warehouse Quebec is Bureau de Post. And that's because it's in the old uh, Quebec City Post Office. Uh, I actually worked for the Furniture Warehouse Group in Vancouver for a couple of years uh, as a DJ and uh, an assistant music director. And I saw, I didn't know that it was a, the warehouse group until I saw the logo on the windows. I'm like, that's the warehouse group. I'm like, we got to just go in and I got to just, just try and see if they can do anything for us. And we, we walk in, I drop a couple names to the manager. And next thing we know he's, and this is on that, like, I think it was like a Friday or Saturday night. So they were busy. Oh, they were, they were loaded. They were packed. They were were packed at that point. They didn't have a table for us while these conversations were happening. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We couldn't even get a table to sit. Right. He ends up taking one of the tape, one of like the booth tables completely out. Uh, moves it so he creates a spot for us to set up and play an acoustic set. The, <laughs> the, the amount of the amount of money that he probably lost off of that table over those two hours of us setting up, playing, and tearing down, um, like he he didn't even bat an eye at it. He had a setup. We played, and it ended up being that people that went to the show ended up coming down, found out that we were playing, and there was a lineup. Like I think there was a lineup down the street now. Mind you, they weren't all for us. They were to try to get into the bar, but there were a number of people that were there um, that didn't even get in that wanted to come see us play. And it was it was just such a cool experience to be like, all right, power goes out during sound check, and we think that the whole night's a write off to being able yeah, to get this magical experience. Yeah, playing playing in this this acoustic set in a bar at the, literally just walking in and asking if we could play. And then, and the answer was yes. Yeah. 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 It's incredible. The answer is never. Yes. No. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I I love that story. Let's get more of those. Some more stories of just amazing things that happened on the road while you're, while you're just living the freedom. So I'll, I'll give you the other end of Quebec. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So we, uh, this is going back to 2010, um, playing and touring in my my first serious band, which was called uh, Life Like Rockets. We were a, a, a pop punk band uh, based out of Guelph, uh, and we had a an Ontario Quebec East Coast tour lined up uh, that we actually fell into out of nowhere. It was uh, the second. The, I think it was the. Uh, I think it was direct support for the headliner dropped out of the tour the day before they were supposed to leave. And we had played, uh, uh, we had played a local show with the entire tour package the night before. So we ended up getting a call, uh, the, the night of the show that we played with the tour package. And, uh, it's Jamie Mittendorf, um, from fortune cove, um, and his current band time brings change is, is the, I think they were the headliner on that tour. He asks us if we want to jump on this tour, uh, we've got to be ready in two days to start hitting a bunch of Ontario, uh, dates and then Quebec and the East coast. We ended up all pooling our money together, buying a trailer. I luckily owned an SUV at the time that could pull the trailer. Uh, so we agreed to do it. And the Ontario shows all go great. It's, it's, it's a successful tour. And then we get to Quebec and I couldn't be more excited to be in the city of Montreal. And it was my first time playing shows in Montreal. 
first show uh, <laughs> goes really well. We're supposed to be staying at the promoter for the second night show. We're supposed to be staying at his house. He is supposed to meet us outside the venue after the first show that we play. We finish the show. We wait outside. We don't, we don't hear from him. Can't get a hold of him. So we wait around a little bit longer. And next thing you know, an hour and a half has gone by. And we're just standing out in the middle of downtown Montreal with a couple vans and trailers and my SUV and trailer. And we're trying to figure out, well, what do we do now? So we start walking around and we turn one corner and there's a car parked on the side of the road. That's windshield is completely caved in and the, and the hood is all dented in. So we go up to check out what's going on and it's this guy and his girlfriend. And he starts talking to us, telling us that this lady essentially jumped out in front of his car and like suplexed herself onto his windshield and then got up and ran away. That ended up being the promoter that we were waiting oh. for. <laughs> I don't know this story. What? Yeah. So what? That was, yeah. So it was him. And the re- so the reason why he had disappeared was because he got into this crazy car accident and didn't know what to do. Like was waiting for the police to show up. Was like, he's, he's got this, his car, the front of his car is totaled and there's nobody else on the scene. So we, we end up getting his car towed. He jumps in one of the vans and he leads us to his house. Now, this was also during, so back in 2010, that summer, we went through this massive heat wave where Ontario. Yeah, the blackout. Yeah, yeah. And it was, <laughs> I think we saw temperatures of, with the humidex, it was about 45 degrees um, for, for about a week straight. And this was in the middle of that. So we get to his house and he tells us, all right, well, here's where you can set up your tents. No. Thought we were staying in his house. Oh, no. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like midnight and it's still like 38 degrees. <laughs> and he's like, here's where you can set up your tents in the backyard. So everyone sets up their tents. We, he has an outdoor pool that's more like a hot tub at this point. And we <laughs> right, jump in to try and cool right. off as much as we can. I think we made it till about five o'clock in the morning. And that's when we all decided it's like, we're going to pool together all of our extra money and go stay in a motel. <laughs> and, and, and all we'll look for, we'll like, we'll, we ended up staying at this like straight up Montreal murder motel. But all we looked for was just like, do they have AC? <laughs> yeah. 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 So that was, oh, uh, man. Yeah, that was that was that was a pretty uh, eventful night for the first time touring in, in Quebec yeah. and Montreal. That's uh, the funny thing about van touring is like it's glorious when it goes good, but it can go so south so fast. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely. It's you know what? It's so much fun. It, it builds character. <laughs> oh yeah, and and you you said it, man. It is looking back at all of the touring that I've done, it's some of the best touring by far. It is so fun and so freeing to just hop in a van with your buddies and hit the road and be like, (laughs) we're going to go play some music. Absolutely. It's so fun. Um, so you mentioned you were, uh, you were out in Vancouver for a couple of years. Um, how did the Vancouver music scene differ from the Ontario scene that I know so well? 
Um, you know what? The, the Vancouver music scene was pretty interesting. Um, the Ontario, like the Ontario music scene, like you have such a diverse scene of different bands. Um, you have, and you have a ton of different bands in each of those genres where the Vancouver scene, even with like, I, I actually was going to school for uh, music business management out there. I was working as a DJ. I was like, I was doing independent artist management and working with some great musicians. Um, and even with working, the, like, with being that connected and that involved in the industry out there, there wasn't a ton of, um, of diversity in, in acts. Like there wasn't like a big punk rock scene there wasn't a big metal scene or, or really anything. It was kind of all the bands, uh, were, were very few and far between, uh, what I really took an interest in was the street musician scene. Uh, and that actually ended up leading into me working professionally with my first band, uh, they were called Sons of Granville. Uh, they were a, a trio of street musicians, and they were like this, like instrumental folk rock band. <laughs> uh, that was oh, they were wild. This amazing acoustic guitar player, an amazing violist, and uh, and a drummer. And the violist ended up going on to like he's written film scores. He's had albums that have been signed that have been signed by CBC Music. Um, the guitarist I'm pretty sure is now just living full-time in Europe, uh, because oh, wow. he, just, he tours Europe, um, year in and year out. Uh, it, yeah, it was, it was really cool. I ended up within, I think it was within four weeks of meeting them. We ended up getting like a $10,000 video grant through TELUS. We got, uh, uh, we, uh, we ended up having their music licensed for an entire hour long documentary on global TV that focused on like underground kitchens in Vancouver. There you go. The hospitality time. Right. Um, <laughs> there yeah. it is again. Subway number two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was, we, we did so many things so quickly and it was because I was just working with these phenomenal musicians. Um, and, uh, and it was really cool because it was completely outside of my element coming from, mainly a, a punk rock and, and metal background working with these like instrumental folk musicians that I, I really had kind of no business working with, but I connected with them and we were able to do a lot of work really quickly. It was great. Um, but then I, I quickly learned with working as a, as an artist manager that I wasn't quite ready to hang them up yet. And I wanted to be the one playing still. Um, so that became, it that kind of became the struggle of being like, you know, yeah, at that time I'm in my mid twenties. It's, it's like, cool. I can start doing this and I have all the tools and, and resources and I have the knowledge to be able to do this. Uh, but I want to be, I want to be the one on stage still, uh, which is why I moved back from Vancouver to, uh, that's, uh, that's when you and I started chatting there. That's when we, <laughs> yeah. That's when, uh, static prevails got going. Yeah, well, that's, let's uh, uh, let's talk about Bat for a little bit. That was your first band, then? Uh, it was no, no. Oh. Uh, that was my fourth. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, our, our first band together. But right. Yeah. Second, yeah. second. There was that hot week that I was in Terrified and Alive. <laughs> oh my god! I totally forgot about that. So Robbie played in a band called Terrified. Well, you know, he sang in a band called Terrified and yeah. Alive, which was a super super cool. I would call it like angsty emo punk band post hardcore post hardcore yeah. and uh and they needed a drummer and i joined up and i think we practiced we practiced once maybe twice and then i got a call to do 
a tour with another band in the UK as a bass player. And for better or for worse, I was like, I'm going to go do that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you talked about this story on, was it Melvin's, was it Melvin's podcast or was maybe it, I'm, I'm not sure. The, that was the unlimited, it was the unlimited tour. Right? It was the yeah. unlimited tour. Yeah. Where you guys went over and all, I think you backtracked all the guitars. <laughs> Because you had yeah, guys so yeah, so what happened? <laughs> what happened is that was a funny story, dude. Being in a small band is like a weird experience. So we somehow, I'm 18 years old. We somehow managed to to land this two week tour. In uh, I'm not even. I, I guess at this point I wasn't even in the band. Um, we land this two week tour. The, well, I can't even say we. This band, Unlimited, lands a two week tour in the UK, and. Uh, their bass player was like, yeah, um, I'm not going to put out the money for a plane ticket. Like, I'm not going to do that. Uh, sorry. And he quits the band. <laughs> so I get a phone call. I don't even play bass. And uh, the singer's like, do you play bass? I was like, not really. And he's like, can you play bass? I was like, probably. He's like, do you want to go on tour in the UK? I was like, all right, I'll <laughs> learn to play bass. <laughs> and uh, Twist my arm. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. And we go over there, but... Um, our two guitarists weren't able to get visas. They, they couldn't get their visas worked out, their work visas to go across. So here's this five-piece band that is now down to a drummer, a bass player, and a vocalist. And you don't even really play bass. And I don't even really play bass. <laughs> and we go across to the UK to do a tour. And uh, for, so for, the, for the listeners who don't necessarily understand... Uh, a lot of live music is um, boosted with additional sounds. It's kind of like the band plays along to additional sounds in a track. So, you know, maybe there's like a shaker or a tambourine that isn't in the song and the band's, you know, all playing their instruments, but there's like a couple extra sounds. Those are in the industry called backtracks. They just fill out the live performance sound so that it sounds a little bit more akin to the record. Well, here, because we're dicks and we still want to do this tour, we don't just throw the shakers and the tambos into the backtracks. <laughs> we just throw all the guitars in. <laughs> and it was, it was to this day, the most humbling tour of my life because anytime there was a sour note on stage, it was the bass player because <laughs> it was only the bass player who was actually playing and all the damn guitarists were perfect. <laughs> so anytime there was a sour oh, note, I was no. like, yep, that was, that was me. me. <laughs> I, I, I got something that I, I dug out. I know that uh, the listeners can't see, but... Do you recommend uh, this? I do, yeah, I do. Is that a poster for your guys' band? Yeah, that, you see it's Static Prevails right there, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure that this was the second show that we ever played. Mm. The second show, the Have Hope Illuminated. It was at the... Uh, oh, it doesn't even say the venue on here. It was, was that at the, the, the youth center. The youth center that was... Uh, oh, yes, that's right. Over behind the convenience store, right where Brad and I lived. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. what that's what being in a band at that level is like. It's it's vans and youth centers and <laughs> and and beers and great memories. So, <laughs> on that note, I I want to hear from you guys. What is a show that you expected to go not very well? That's that the magic of music took over. Oh wow! And maybe maybe they're oh. not the same show. But why don't I get it from both of you guys? I mean, I think the. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say two two shows specifically with Static Prevails, and we can we'll stay on that as we can kind of both attest to it. Um, 
our first show, I think, was the most special show of our entire playing careers because we got to play um, at the Burnshoff. Our God bless the Burnshoff. Our, our local, our local watering hole is where we every band practice finished with pints at the Burnshoff. It was where I had my first illegal pint when I was 16 with my dad. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, it. You know, it was, uh, it was a really like special place in our community because we all grew up uh, in, in the, in the same neighborhood. Like we, we all grew up within, like we didn't know, we didn't know each other that entire time. Uh, we didn't really all meet, all officially meet and become friends till, you know, our, our mid twenties, late twenties. Um, and well, I was in my late twenties, a few years younger, yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, it was, you know, it was such like a staple part of our community and we ended up packing the place. Like our first yeah. show we ever played, we packed the place wall to wall. I, th- I, I think they were definitely over capacity for that oh, show. Way over capacity. Way over capacity. Um, over capacity, was- over serving all the right things. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and well, that was the thing too, is all the staff there, like the, they knew the you guys, the, the owner, the bartenders, they all knew us like personally. And they were so stoked to be able to host us and be able to have it's probably their most profitable night of the year. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. We right. made them a dollar yeah. or two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think, like, yeah, so sorry. That wasn't a show that I expected to, like, not go well. It was just was, I never expected it to be... So good. So good. It was, yeah. just, like, especially as your first show as a band, um, where nobody's heard your music, nobody knows who you are, you just have this overwhelming support from friends and family in your community. Uh, and, and it was, that was a really, really special night for sure. Um, I, I think the, the second show was the, uh, was, was blackout fest, um, where right. we essentially fill, we, we didn't fill it all the way, but we got a decent amount of people that, uh, we kind of built our own little ticket package where we had you come for a pizza party and you bought a, and, and you got, okay. So hold on. This is, this is, this is your third connection because this is still the hospitality industry. <laughs> there so, we go. so, so here's some backstory, both. So, um, Melvin, who we've had on the podcast was working at Boston pizza. I was touring with walk off the earth. And then when I was at home working at Boston pizza, Rob, were you the kitchen manager at the time of Boston uh, pizza? I think you maybe I was, weren't. I was, the, I was either the kitchen manager, or the front of house man. I think it was the front of house manager at that time. And Brad was the ki- and Brad was the kitchen manager of the other Cambridge location. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks Boston, so pizza, Boston for, pizza was big in the thanks, <laughs> thanks Boston pizza for funding our musical careers. Four, four or five members. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so, continue with your story. Well, well, yeah. Well, so so John John Harmon, absolute legend, um, get, who was the owner oh, of the Boston Pizza. Right. Okay. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was the owner at the time. Uh, he hooked up this massive deal for us, where he essentially gave us all these like pizzas at cost that we were essentially making money off of at that point. Um, uh, gave us all, let us essentially bring in cans of beer that we paid like the cost that he would pay for them. And we took, we essentially took all the profit from it. He just like, all he wanted to do was see us succeed. And it was really, really cool for him to do. So we were able to host this pre festival pizza party that then went to a school bus where we took the school bus from Cambridge to Brantford. 
with all the people who had bought the tickets to the show, all the people who bought the tickets to the show. Uh, and, and so we had this, just so you show up bus. with like a gang, <laughs> a mom, yeah, well, we show up with the school bus that <laughs> we just start loading gear off of and people start piling out of the school bus and into the venue. It was just such a cool thing. And like, I think Hawthorne Heights, Hawthorne Heights headlined that. that yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Hawthorne Heights headlined. It was a, yeah, and that was a great, it was a great festival. It was just, it was something that was so out of the box for us to do. Like, again, like not something I expected to like go like wrong. It was just something that I didn't expect to go as well as it did because it was something that was just such an out of the box way to bring people out to the show and, and get our fans out to the show. Um, and that essentially that ended up getting us in a pretty decent uh, time slot for that for that festival. I don't think well. we played direct support to Hawthorne, but I think we played sure. one before direct one support. Before direct support, yeah, I think we yeah. were like, and and that was like a twenty band bill or something like that. It yeah. was a big, it was a massive bill. So, well, you yeah, show up with a school bus full of yeah. people, <laughs> you yeah, get yeah, a good yeah, time. Yeah, slot. People are pretty happy with <laughs> you. Take, take notes, kids. That's what you got to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about that hustle and it's grind. All about the hustle yeah, and grind. Hustle and grind. Hustle and grind. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no more van tour life. We take it school buses now. <laughs> <laughs> Moving up in the world. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Robbie, uh, thank you so much for joining us, man. Um, it's been fun to catch up. It's been fun to talk about the touring industry and, and working in restaurants and all of that. And uh, when things open up, I look forward to uh, grabbing another pint with you sometime, man. Absolutely. Right, right back I, I, I say we should go to Prince Edward County and see this beautiful land of opportunity hey, that he tells I got us about. I got spare bedrooms. You guys are welcome Dude. anytime. I got, <laughs> I got, yeah, I got, I got, I got one more thing for you though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hit me. Oh, absolutely. I, I have, I have one of these for you. Oh, oh, the cover sets, the cover sets. Let's okay. So one of these posters for you. So, so for the listeners, so, so for the listeners see. who can't see, uh, so, Toward toward the end of uh, our band together, Strat- Static Prevails, we we started taking on uh, cover sets and like playing covers at bars and uh, that that sort of thing. And out of that uh, was birthed this idea that uh, Rob dubbed "Washed Up," um, which was just <laughs> a it bunch was, of tagline was "Washed Up," probably the best cover band in the world. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably, probably. probably. So we yeah. would just uh, we would go. We would play cover sets. We would play a bunch of punk rock cover tunes. Um, it's the only band I've played with where I smashed an instrument on stage. <laughs> over your, oh, was it over your head or over someone else's? Head? It was. It was over my my Marshall, my Marshall JCM nine hundred. Oh, I, I smashed. Yeah. I smashed a ukulele to pieces, <laughs> and we would all dress up in like sunglasses, hats, and Hawaiian shirts, <laughs> and just play. <laughs> trees on stage and play cover tunes and it was the best times actually that being said um those lincoln park that lincoln park cover set that we played was maybe one of the most fun shows that we've played together i would say Uh, one of my favorite shows i've ever played we play it it, so for and for context on that it was a uh it was a tribute show uh a tribute charity show we did uh shortly after chester passed away um where we we essentially did this in touch. It was us and two other bands, um, Nick Unlimited from Unlimited being yeah, right, together, right. Uh, one of the other band. Actually, it was just Unlimited that played. It was Unlimited, yeah. Uh, yeah, your UK tour band. Yeah. Um, so and and it was uh, Jamie Mittendorf's band who booked Blackout Fest. Oh, right, right. That's yeah. so that's so well, weird that this is all I know. around it's full a, circle. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the touring industry is a small, small little town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but 
yeah, three bands playing Lincoln Park cover sets, and, <laughs> and, and all the proceeds went to uh, a local mental health charity. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and, but, and, and that's the cool thing about um, this group of people that make up uh, the people who are hustling around in bands trying to make it, is that... Um, they're often looked at as, as, you know, gruff or heavy drinkers or party animals or, or that sort of thing. But when we lost Chester, um, I saw it not only impact the, the people who played in the bands, but the people who came to the shows and, and the entire community grieved. And it, that, that night was a beautiful, um, uh, it was just a beautiful example about how much, those people cared Care about, about, people about not community. only the music, but the people in the music industry. And I think, I think that was, uh, that was, that was a really, really special night. Yeah. Seeing, seeing the amount of people that we saw show up to that show that we had never seen at like a static prevail show or any other show, just people that showed up in Lincoln park t-shirts. Like, yeah. Right. That, that was what made it so worth it was getting to perform these songs for like diehard diehard fans yeah and there um, were tears man that oh, was there a was so much, there was man, i i had a few myself like that was a, yeah. that was an emotional night like yeah. it, as it was for everybody but what a what a special what a special night i still have the lincoln park set list that we played as a playlist on my spotify oh nice i listen nice. to that set list all the time that's awesome. You'll have to send me that. Uh, send me that playlist. I'll link we'll it in the show we'll notes. Do. Yeah, link yeah, it in the show notes. There we go. Well, yeah. we do unfortunately have to run, man. But thank you so much for joining us, um, dude. I miss you. I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. And uh, yeah, let's definitely grab a pint soon. Yeah, miss you and love you, buddy. Thanks so much for having awesome. me. Awesome. It was great to meet you, man. Yeah, you as well. Cheers. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at the Cad Story. That's the CAD story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great their country is.